We have vessels for the Holy Spirit is the title of this morning's message, and that may be new to some of you. It may not be new, uh, but this morning we want to take a look at that. But bear with me for just a moment because of even what I mentioned earlier, the concept of understanding that we've been given the privilege to have the Word of God. And as you know, if you know me, I'm a firm believer that we rightly divide the Word of God and we understand it in its context. So allow me a very quick review uh, since we've been away for a couple of weeks here. We are in the scene of the upper room. Let's not forget that. So he's the upper room discourse, and the Lord Jesus Christ is meeting privately with his disciples. That's who he's with. He's been teaching publicly over and over and over again for years, and now he's with them because some things are going to transpire. What they are learning from the Lord Jesus Christ and what they are going to be instructed is that he is going away from them. That even came up in what I read this morning. And he's going to leave them, and so they are concerned. But in talking to them, we have learned in this chapter that he has indicated that his work is not done. Just because he's leaving the earth doesn't mean that his work is finished. Far from being finished. In fact, he was going to prepare a place for them. And there is a place being prepared for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And that is absolutely outstanding just for us to meditate and think upon that. That God would go and prepare a place not just for his disciples, but for believers. And then he would continue to intercede for us, which he's doing right now. So his work is far from over. And while the cross was still in front of him and so forth, he reminds them that not only is he going away, but he's coming back. And I think that needs to be fresh in the mind of every believer today. That our Savior, the one that we are professing, the one who we talk to others about, he's coming back. And that ought to stir us up. I am so discouraged, if you will, when I look at Christianity and I hear them talking about the rapture, I hear them talking about the return of the Lord, and it seems to have no effect in the life. There's no excitement to come back. Just having made this trip that I just referred to, I was excited to get out of the truck. I was excited to get back. I was excited to see Linda, to, excited to see you. I couldn't wait. You probably had a great vacation and couldn't wait for me to stay away. I couldn't wait to get back and preach. That's the truth. And what I'm saying, there's exci that excitement ought to be there for us with the Lord. He's coming back. And so he reminded them of that. And then, it just didn't end there. He said, not only am I coming back, so that where I am, you can be also. So that they could be encouraged by the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is continuing to work. But that dialogue prompted some questions, as we have seen in our study. Well, where are you going? Well, the bottom line was, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to my Father's house. Well, how do we get there? That's easy. I'm the way, Jesus Christ said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to ever get to the Father. No one is going to ever get to heaven unless it happens through me. That's John 14, 6. That's how it will transpire. Well, that's great. You answered those questions. Well, maybe we'd like to see the Father. Show us the Father. Well, how can you ask that? Because if you've seen, this is important to our discussion this morning. If you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Why? I and the Father basically are one. We are one of the same quality. We are the same. We are both God. If you want to see the Father, take a good look at me because I am the representation of the Father here on earth. 
That's been the discussion so far. And then he went on after answering those questions and addressing the statement about showing us the Father. He's gone on to show us something that is absolutely exciting or should be to you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is that his desire while he's gone preparing a place is to use us. It's to use you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. His desire is while he's gone, he wants to use you. If you will allow me the illustration just for a moment, it was like the last two weeks not being here. His desire was to use Pastor Chris in the pulpit. His desire was to use you. That is exciting. And it should be exciting to you as a believer. If you're not excited about being used by the Lord Jesus Christ, you better, first of all, examine your salvation. Secondly, get down on your knees and say, Lord, just like Chris referred to this morning, stir up that joy of when I first got saved. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation because it's missing. We ought to be excited to think that God can use us in any capacity. And he showed them that he's going to minister through believers while he's gone. Well, how is he going to do that? By making us instruments, by making us, if you will, vessels is the terminology I choose to use, so that we can be a vessel earthen pot as we are, just like clay vessels according to Corinthians, so that God can use us for his honor and glory. Well, in what capacity? Verse 12 was we learn that he will use us to do the works of God, even greater than that which the Lord Jesus Christ had done. And so he's going to use us, and those are not works for salvation, but because we do know the Lord, he'll use us to perform works witnessing for him and so forth and so on. And also we closed a few weeks back on the second aspect, and that is that we are vessels of prayer. And we noticed that this was no ma magical formula just by tacking on the name of Christ. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ that we are now able, because of him, to go to the Father, excuse me, through him, to pray, to make requests. And we keep in mind that it's for the glory of God, not just to meet our fancies. That's the context. And to demonstrate our love for him, we go in prayer. And I challenged you, by the way, a few weeks ago, and I'm going to just remind you in case you've forgotten. And if you have forgotten and you haven't been involved in it, well, get involved. But how are you doing? How are you doing with what? I challenged you three weeks ago that since we're vessels of prayer, here's the way that we can pray this coming year. One is to pray for somebody that you know every week. Not the same person for 52 weeks. You want to do that, that's okay, but add someone else to the list. But this week, you should have somebody that you want to pray for that you know in Fellowship Bible Church. And if it's not someone you know, you can start with a bulletin, is what I said, because we have a prayer family. And if some of you don't know Pastor Chris, you should. He's one of the pastors here. There's someone that you can pray for this week. But be praying for someone you know. Secondly, pray for someone else in the church that you don't know that well. That's what I challenge you to pray for. And you should be doing that. How are you doing? I've been doing it while I was away. Someone that I need to get to know even better. And take someone in this church that you don't know. Maybe they're sitting across from you. How do I get to know them? We'll get a list. We've made that available. Or look in the computer on the website and so forth and get one of the names that you're not familiar with and start to pray and start to get to know them. And thirdly, the missionary. 
Take a missionary and start praying for them. We put a name in the bulletin. That's a place to start. But every week, start praying for somebody else. I am a firm believer that if we start realizing we're vessels for prayer and we just pray for those things, and if you can't do that, or if you're looking at it and saying, well, that's Pastor Dan's opinion and I don't, it doesn't challenge you, then again, start pinching yourself because there's no life. Those are simple things to do. Pray for someone you know, pray for someone you don't know that well, and start praying for a missionary every week. And then change it the following week. And so forth. I'm, I believe God will move in a marvelous way as we see that happen. Well, that brings us to today. We see that now we're vessels for the Holy Spirit's well, here's the question. Well, God's going to have us do works, and even greater works than Jesus Christ did. But how are we going to accomplish that? If we're going to be vessels for God, how do we accomplish doing works or doing greater works? Most of us, if we're honest, the things that we do, it's in our own strength or in our own power or in our own wisdom. It is. Whether or not we're singing in a choir, they were up here, whether or not we're playing in an orchestra, whether or not we're teaching, many times we look at the things that we're comfortable with and our strength and so forth, and we just figure we can do God's work, even witnessing maybe, in my strength, in because I'm a good orator or because I can do these things and so forth. Well, let me remind you, I think it's Jeremiah 9 that says it. He says, Thus saith the Lord... Uh, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let, not, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory, glory in this. I hope I got this passage right. That he understands and knows me, that I am God. Exercising loving kindness, righteousness and judgment in the world of the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It's not our wisdom. We cannot accomplish witnessing. You can't have the courage to invite somebody out tonight that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ to see that video. You can't have the courage to share the gospel in your own strength. And that's, by the way, even getting along with one another in the church. In the idea of forgiveness, we'll talk about that and some other things this morning. We can't do that in our own power because it goes contrary to us. And when somebody does something we don't like or does something that we didn't do, we either become jealous or we become uh, talking and so forth and we get involved in all these other things that we shouldn't be involved in. Why? Because we're doing things in our own might and power. So how do we accomplish the work of God? That's what this is dealing with. Because we have vessels for the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing statement. Think about it. That God would use sinners. That God would use broken vessels. That God would use nobodies. That God would use a human being. That God would use weak sometimes arrogant, sometimes self-sufficient people, first of all, to redeem, and then secondly, to be a vessel for the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
How many times do you take that for granted if you're a believer today? I know I do. I don't think of it or meditate on it often enough in the capacity that I just said to you. Well, who is this Holy Spirit? What does he do? And really, where is he? Well, our text this morning in verses 15 and 16 are going to help us to answer some of these questions. I also want to tell you that this is really, uh, to remind you of something I told you before, this is just, as he's teaching them, the foundation for things that's going to be expanded in the next couple of chapters. But I want to share something else with you. One of the most profound and most effective things that ever happened to me as a young believer was to attend a series of messages on the Holy Spirit. Some of you were here at the time. It was Dr. Didden that came, and he did a series on the Holy Spirit, and he taught me some things I had never, ever known. And I I can still have his message and outline in my brain right now. He talked about the Holy Spirit because I didn't even know anything about a Holy Spirit. Born, baptized, and dwelt, anointed, sealed. There was his outline. I just, just came to me again. There it was. Tremendous impact. I didn't know what was going on. It's important for our Christian growth that we understand who this person is. So who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? Verse, six, uh, verse 15. Uh, sorry, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. I will ask. First of all, I want you to notice that it's a result of Jesus' request. He asks the Father for this. We have already seen together that Jesus does everything according to the will of the Father. Everything that the Father wants, the Lord Jesus Christ does, and he does things in harmony with the Father. And we would not even have the Holy Spirit unless the Lord Jesus Christ had requested this of the Father, which is in perfect harmony with the Father's will. Now, you may be sitting there, and that bounces off you like water off a duck. Let me tell you something else. This shows you right away in this simple statement in verse 16 the importance of the sovereignty of God and the power of prayer, in case you missed it. Have you ever asked yourself, why bother to pray if God knows everything that's going on? Well, if it's the perfect will of the Father to send the Holy Spirit, why would Jesus Christ pray? It works together. That's how God works. God wants you to pray. We're talking about prayer. God wants you to pray even though he knows what's best and knows what he wants to do so that we show our dependence on him and so that we line our will up with his. And so even the Father is seen here as being the one that Jesus Christ turns to and asks at the request of the Father, at the request of Jesus Christ, he asks the Father to send the Holy Spirit even though it's in perfect harmony. So it does give us even an illustration for prayer. And so he prays to the Father. And I want you to notice how he comes. He says that I will pray, ask the Father, and he will give. How does the Holy Spirit come? Why does he come? And we're going to be talking about the person in just a second. It is not because we desire to have him. It is not because we go seeking for him. And there are people today in the 21st century in 2011 that are seeking the Holy Spirit. You don't need to do that. Jesus Christ has already sought the Father for him to be sent. And he is given to us just like salvation. We don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ did the asking. You don't need to do it. 
He's given to us. He is a gift, just like salvation. Salvation cannot be purchased, cannot be earned. We don't earn it. We're not deserving of it. God provides it through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is given to us. We, by the way, shouldn't be surprised at that. Go with me to John chapter 7. Again, the importance of studying it together. John chapter 7, verse 39. Earlier in the book, when he was talking about life and living water, Jesus Christ said this. But this, he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because he was not, Jesus was not yet glorified. They would receive. He told us that. The Holy Spirit would come to those who believed in him. Why? Because God would give it. If you listen to Acts, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 if you want, just a minute. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, show that the Spirit of God is given. Verse 38, Peter said to them, when they said, what must we do? He said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, listen, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. One other passage, because it will be significant to what I say later. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life. That's in Galatians. I'm in Galatians. Sorry. I was going to say that doesn't sound right. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's do that again. Verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth. What's that? The gospel of your salvation. What is that? That salvation is only in Jesus Christ. Then what does he say? Having also believed, then what? You were sealed in him, how? With the Holy Spirit of promise, watch, who is given. The Holy Spirit is given to believers as a pledge, we'll come back to that, of our inheritance within the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are given the Holy Spirit. So Jesus requests him to come, and he is given to every believer. But who, again, who is he? He is God, very God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's known as the third person of the Trinity. Go back to John chapter 14. He is a member of the Godhead. We know, we've learned already, that there is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have learned in John chapter 4, I won't turn back there, verse 24, that God's essence is spirit. It's not flesh and blood. We were created in his image, not him created in our image. So God is spirit. The Father is the uh, uh, eternal, omnipotent creator who we cannot see or comprehend fully of man who is in heaven. The Son... He is the eternal, omnipotent creator as well. But he's the one that was manifested in the flesh. The one that came to earth, was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again. All according to the scriptures. And the Spirit of God is equally God. 
He was there in the beginning to create. He is omnipotent. He is eternal. He moves in and among man. He takes the Word of God. He, number one, brought it so that it could be recorded. He illuminates it to our mind. But this person is the third person of the Trinity. I want you to turn to just a couple of verses, but keep your finger in John 14. Go with me to Matthew 28. I want you to see it. Before we understand this person, I hope that you go out of here today if you're a believer and have a great appreciation for what God has done. And not take for granted the Holy Spirit to think that part of the deity can dwell in a believer? Outrageous. But that's what God's done. In Matthew 28, if you look at verse 19, a verse related to baptism, but I want you to see this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, the name, singular, of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People say there's no verses on the Trinity. You must be blind. There's one right there. Singular person of the Godhead. Who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All make up one name. God. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, we talked about this morning in our responsive reading, it was His Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 9, I will read it to you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says this. Let me just get there so I don't misquote it. But in chapter 9 and verse 14, we read these words. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through, listen, the eternal Spirit, offer himself without blemish to God? And if you have any question about him being the Holy Spirit, listen to the words of Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit being God. Listen to Acts chapter 5. You can mark it down in verses 3 and 4 with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. What you have there in verse 3 is, listen to this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, listen, to lie to the Holy Spirit? Verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Listen and have lied not to men but to God. To lie to the Holy Spirit was to lie to God. I could go on with other verses. The point is, when we're in John chapter 14, we see that this person, the Holy Spirit, is God, very God, because it says everywhere in Scripture. He's not a ghost. We think of a ghost as something out there, and I know that's the old English word that was used. He's not Casper the ghost. He's not something like that at all. He is a real person. He's not just an influence. He does influence the Christian life, but that's not all he is. He's a real person. He's not an imaginary figure that we try to think about. He's a real person of the Godhead. And if you're back in John, just look at this very quickly. In John chapter 15, the next chapter, in verse 26, watch. Watch the pronouns. When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, that's consistent with what we're reading this morning, that is the Spirit of Truth, that's consistent, who proceeds from the Father, watch. He will testify about me. John chapter 16, look at verse 12. Beginning in verse 12. 
I have many more things to say to you now, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take... You get the point? It's a person. The Holy Spirit is God, and it's a real person. Because personality isn't just flesh and blood. He can be grieved. He can be yielded to. According to Scripture, he searches the hearts and minds of every believer. He even convicts the world of unrighteousness judgments, and so forth. I said all of that because if you go back now to John chapter 14, it's very important that we understand that this verse also shows us the deity of the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. There are two different words that are used, and primarily, not always, but primarily they're used in this sense. One of the Greek words is used to mean another of the same kind. And sometimes it's used as a different word that's used to mean another of a different kind. The word that's used here is the word alas. I am going to send you another one of the same makeup in the context. Another one of the same essence in the context. Because he says, I'm going away. I'm going away and I'm going to request the Father. And I believe it's absolutely proper to the context. And that's why the choice of the word. Another one just like me. Don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but someone just like me is coming. Another of the same kind. Probably the distinction is best found. I won't turn there, but it's in Galatians chapter 1. When he says, I'm so surprised that you're moving to another or a different gospel. Most English translations now say different, which is not another of the same kind. It's not the same gospel of Jesus Christ at all. And so in this context, I want you to understand, the person that we're going to see is indwelling us is God. That's amazing. So this is God, very God, that is coming. He's asking, and he will give you another one. What's the work of this person of the Godhead? Notice what he says in verse 16. He is to be a helper. And in verse 17, he's called the spirit of truth. He's the paraclete. You've probably heard that term. Many teacher has used that term. He's the one that's called to come alongside us. That's what it means. The son is leaving, he's doing his work, he's continuing to work, but in his place, he is sending the Holy Spirit, who is God. To do what? To come alongside of us. To help us. Some English translations say the counselor. Others say the comforter. It's all referring to the same thing. Someone that comes alongside to assist. Very frequently with commentaries, they use the expression... He's like an attorney who comes to our aid. He comes alongside us and helps us. Think about it. And by the way, it's the same language. Look at chapter 16, verse 7 of John. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I wouldn't think it would be to the advantage of us to have Jesus Christ go away. Why would it be to our advantage? 
are to their advantage. Verse 6, uh, 7. For if I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Amazing. When Jesus Christ was on the earth, the only ones that could benefit and see were his disciples or the crowds of the multitudes who were in his presence. But Jesus Christ, when he completed his work on the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead, went back to the Father and now sends another member of the Godhead, another one just like him, but so that the entire body of Christ, so that you and I can benefit by having deity come to this earth and help us and being our advocate. Think about it. We are called to witness for Christ. You can't do that in your own power. You'll fail. We are called to forgive one another. We hate to forgive one another. I hate to admit that, but that's true. We sometimes, if somebody does something against us, we carry it for a long time. The evidence is it stays in our mind. We are called, listen, to love one another as Christ has loved us. How in the world can I love you as Christ loved you? How in the world can I love you as Christ has loved me? How in the world could you ever love me as Christ has loved you? It's impossible in our own power. How in the world can we pray to the Father for one another the way God wants us to? We have trouble even doing what Pastor Dan asked us to do to pray for three people, let alone pray for people the way we ought to. How can we stand against the wiles of the devil on our own power? Impossible. How can I be kind one to another? Impossible. How can we work as members of the body without bickering and devouring one another? I tell you that the church of Jesus Christ can't do it without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. You see? If we don't have this helper, we cannot do it. Our own personality, our own prejudices, our own upbringing, our own sin nature, the influence of the world in our life will affect the way we are with one another. And if we didn't have the Holy Spirit to help us, we could never do the work of God. I could not stand in this pulpit if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be impossible. You and I could read the Word of God every single day and we would never understand it the way God wants us to understand it were it not for the Spirit of God. We need divine help. And that's God's will. We need divine help, and that's what Jesus Christ prayed for. The Holy Spirit strengthens us, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. That's the way, by the way, you want to have effective prayer? Don't pray for somebody to get out of their trouble. That he be strengthened with might in the inner man. The Holy Spirit does that. He's given us power, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
He's given us power, not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of might. Even when we don't know how to pray, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God was given to us to intercede for us, to bring before the throne of grace the things that we don't know how to pray for. That's divine power. According to Galatians chapter 3, He's given us the power of salvation and the power to continue in our walk for salvation, not to go back to good works, or not to try to add good works to it, or not to try to now walk by the power of the flesh. According to Galatians chapter 5, by yielding to the Spirit of God, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if we don't walk by the power of this helper... We'll fail. He guides us. He will, we'll see that in chapter 16. He will guide the disciples in all truth. Why? In verse 17, he is called the spirit of truth, not of a lie. Don't ever say the spirit of God led me and you do something contrary to the word of God. That is a lie. It's an incongruity. The Spirit of God always guides by the Word of God and in consistency with the character of God. He is the one that teaches us. We saw that in our responsive reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He is the one that takes the thoughts of God and the words of God and helps us to understand the, those things. And if we didn't have the Spirit of God, we would not understand the things of God either. According to Ephesians chapter 1 that we read, he is the down payment of the evidence that we belong to God. According to Ephesians chapter 4, he seals us. He is the branding mark of God that we are truly a child of God. According to Acts chapter 9, he comforts us. When other people can't, he does. According to Romans chapter 15, he sanctifies us in our daily walk. You see... Not only is this God that is coming, that is the Holy Spirit, or has come, but he is our helper. He is the enabler to allow us to do the work of God. How is this possible? This is, this is to me, earth-shattering. Where is he? Where is his residence? This is amazing. Look at verse 17. The spirit of truth, always according to truth, I could have spent the whole message on that. Watch this. The world cannot receive him. Why? First of all, it doesn't see him. You can't go around grasping the Holy Spirit. It doesn't see him. Neither can they really comprehend him. Why? They don't know him. Now watch this contrast. But you, disciples, you, fellow believer, know him. What do you mean we know him? Why? He abides with you and will be in you. It's talking about future because the Holy Spirit had not come in the capacity yet that he would later in Acts chapter 2. But where is his residence? He indwells. Today he indwells each and every believer. Think about what we've said this morning. This is God, very God. Sent because Jesus Christ asked of the Father and it's consistent with his will. Came to assist, help, enable, empower, 
guide, lead, direct? Who? Believers. Where? By being inside of them. Inside. It's incredible. It's outrageous. It's unthinkable. But according to Ephesians chapter 1 that I read this morning, I won't turn back there, verse 13 and 14. He is the down payment. People make down payments. My son, when we moved him and so forth, he's looking, hoping to get a home out there to be able to purchase. And we talked about various things. He asked me some finance questions and so forth. And one of the things we talked about was a down payment. That down payment is the evidence of what will be his if he takes a down payment on a house, just like you do. It's an evidence that it belongs to them. The down payment that God gives us that our salvation is real is the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you know the passage well. What? Know ye not that your body, your body is what? Help me. The temple of who? Of whom? The Holy Spirit. Who is in you? And you are not your own. To think that God of the universe would take up his residency in the body of a believer? Yes. There's a series of messages that I heard and I referred to this morning. He challenged us with this question. Have you ever thanked God for the Holy Spirit? And as I sat there in the pew and heard that message, you know what I said to myself? I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. That's how young a believer I was. But since then, I don't know how many times, many, 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 many times I've thanked God for the Holy Spirit. Have you even thanked God for the Holy Spirit in you? Or you just take it for granted? It's the Spirit of God in me. By the way, do you know that's the only true evidence that you belong to God? If any man has not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. You can serve all you want. You can witness all you want, and it may be going on in the power of the flesh, and that's why it's either not successful or whatever. That doesn't evidence that you're saved. What evidence is that you're saved, and what God can see is the fact that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not His. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, what? That we are, help me, children of God. That's how I know I'm saved. Not because I read my Bible. Not because I go to church. Not because I sing songs. It's because the Holy Spirit's in me. Each and every believer, this changed at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been around since Genesis. You'll see that. The Spirit of God moved upon the waters. According to Psalm 139, there isn't any place that we can go, but the Spirit of God knows where we are, knows everything about us, knows everything that's going on, because he's omnipresent and he's omniscient. He's always been around. He indwelt certain people. He was in David, for example. We know that. He led in the Old Testament. He led in the apostles' life. But Jesus Christ was saying he's going to pray because he's coming in a new capacity. And that capacity for you and I is that God has chosen that believers are vessels for his honor and glory and we are vessels for the indwelling Holy Spirits. If that doesn't change the purity of your walk or the way you think, nothing will. 
to think that God could be indwelling in me? God has fully equipped you. You say as a Christian, you know, I just can't serve. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, there's only so much. I... God has never called someone to salvation that he's not properly equipped to do what he wants done. Ever. You are fully equipped and so am I. Now, we are all members of one body and we have different functions. We have different things that we're called to do and we need to be about doing it. How are you doing? And we need every member of the body I asked you to pray a while ago. I know some of you have because you've been asking me for a fellow official that had an accident and lost two of his arms. Last night there was a gathering that Linda and I went to for him. And uh, I had an opportunity to talk to him for a little while. And just in talking with him, his whole life has changed. Many things he can't do because now two of his arms are missing. You know, we don't think of that in the body of Christ. But do you know that Fellowship Bible Church, do you know that the universal body of Christ cannot function the way it should unless every single member of the body of Christ is doing what they're supposed to be doing? And do you know that there's no excuse for turning around and saying, well, I can't do it? Because God has equipped every single believer with deity. We are not God. We are not like Jesus Christ who was walking. Listen, it wasn't that Jesus Christ was a human being with deity indwelling him. Jesus Christ is God, fully God, and that is a lot different from what you and I have. But to think that you and I, as broken vessels, could have deity indwelling us because God's wanted it so, desired it to be so, and had done it so, so that we can be equipped to do his work. How are we doing? It's amazing. Look at verse 15, 16 as I close. That he may be with you what does it say? Amazing. You know, David prayed in Psalm 51. It's really not a New Testament prayer. He prayed, God, do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. God will never take the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? When we fail every day, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. We may go off track with God. But we can confess our sins he cleanses us. He brings us back. And the Spirit of God is in us, just waiting for us to yield to him so that God can continue to accomplish his work through us. We are vessels. Jesus Christ is right now preparing a place. But he wants to use you and me. And he'll do that because he's equipped us. And the, the objective is for us to yield to the Holy Spirit. Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God? Are you so encumbered with the world and its influence in your own sin nature that God can't get anywhere in your life? If you're a believer, you need to get on your knees and thank God for the indwelling Holy Spirit 
and ask God simply to help you to yield to him, to start walking in the Spirit. And I do that by knowing the Word of God and saying, you know what, what God's calling me to do, I don't want to do it, but I yield to it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can accomplish, again, forgiveness. I can accomplish serving. I can accomplish praying. I can accomplish loving one another. I can accomplish witnessing. And I can accomplish all of these things because God's properly equipped me. He encouraged his disciples with that. I pray you'll be encouraged to walk in the Spirit of God because we're vessels for the holy, living God in us. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I know even as I preach with all my heart this morning, I know my own mind can't fully comprehend deity in the person of God dwelling in a broken vessel. But Father, I thank you and praise you and by faith walk. And it's my desire that each and every believer, starting with myself, appreciate and thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you not only for choosing to use us, choosing to redeem us, but also to empower and equip us with your very presence so that we can accomplish the things of God. What a privilege it is. Oh, Father, the Church of Jesus Christ universally, locally, is so broken up, is so often involved in destruction. And we don't see fully and comprehend fully what you're trying to do and unify the body in what you're desiring to do that we would understand you. The world cannot see the Holy Spirit. The world cannot understand and comprehend. But Father, the believers can. And I pray that you'd help us to dwell on this, to be thankful and to yield that you might have your will and your way in each one of our lives. And we might see the effect right here in this local body. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.